readings from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Let us be attentive. In the beginning, you, O Lord, did found the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest. They will all grow old like a garment, like a Now 
Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak thus? It is a blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question thus in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your pallet and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed. And glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. you who proclaims the gospel. Glory to In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. When I was at seminary almost 30 years ago, I remember a very beloved man who was a bishop who served in our archdiocese for a period of time. He spent time on the Holy Mountain as well, and his name was Bishop Yerasimos, obviously different than our Bishop Yerasimos that we have here. Um, Bishop Yerasimos was a very, very quiet man. He was short, had gray curly hair, and he would always sit off on the side at the chapel, and he would just sort of stare up at the Panagia, the Platitera, behind the altar. And I always wondered sort of what he was seeing and what he was experiencing at that time. He was a very, very quiet person. Um, When he would give a homily, literally, you could probably count the words when he was done. That's how short they were. But man, were they powerful and effective. And that was a a beautiful... um, lesson, I think, for all of us. We, we really looked at him as a man who was one of very few words, but he always spoke words that were very profound. And I remember that uh, he once said when, when we would sometimes go to his, his uh, house there, which was on campus, and he, he actually lived with two seminarians, and he lived upstairs, but he gave Bible studies uh, from time to time, and one of the things that he said was we need to really put ourselves in the situation of what it is, whatever it is we're reading in the scripture that day, whether it's uh, you know, a parable or, or, or some teaching of our Lord itself, whatever it may be, we need to try to put ourselves at that time and so forth. And so this morning what I want to do is try to make this real time, the story that we just heard uh, that uh, Deacon Innocent read. And so what I want you to imagine for a moment, and that's, this is really bringing then to now, but I want you to imagine for a moment putting another 200 people in this room right now. So as you look around, you see that we're pretty full today. We have a few empty seats, and there's some people around the perimeter. But I want you to imagine 200 more people in this room right now. And I also want you to visualize those doors being open, those doors being open, the back door being open, all of them being open. And they're just packed full of people, and there are people in the narthex, and there are people outside of the church, and all in the fellowship hall, and outside the church that way. 
that gives you an idea of what Jesus was uh, seeing as he was making this teaching. It said it was just packed full of people. All of these people had heard of him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Some of them came for specific answers. And of course, we know some people came for healing. Well, the story is that there was this man who was a paralytic. And there was no way that he was going to get in. And he didn't want to wait to see whether or not he would be able to catch Jesus on his way out. So there were four people, four friends, who decided to find another way. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that as I'm giving this talk right now, and there are 350 people in here alone, and maybe another 700 outside, that all of a sudden there are jackhammers and there are sledgehammers that are pounding on the ceiling. And the plaster and the wood and things are starting to fall down into the house, and I'm trying to talk. And you're wondering what this whole ruckus is. Now maybe back then it was a lot easier because it said they sort of slipped away the tiles and so forth. But you knew it created a mess, not only in terms of sound, but just the dust and, and the clamoring of tiles and maybe them hitting the floor. God forbid it hit any person. But just think for imagine what it was like if that were happening right now. And this is what was going on. So they lower the man into the house. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is what? Your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the man who was a paralytic, that's probably not what I wanted to hear. I don't think I was asking me to let down into a room full of people as a paralytic to simply hear, your sins are forgiven. I could be thankful for that, but I would probably say, you know, Lord, that's not really why we went through all this trouble. So we have this this beautiful scene, this man carried by four of the men. I can't even imagine what it was like to get him on top of the roof to begin with. And as as he lowers himself, gets lowered into the room, our Lord speaks these beautiful words to him. And it says in the scripture that he's in seeing their faith. So the first thing we get from this parable is the persistence of this man and the men who were actually taking the the pains to to lower him into the house. They were extremely persistent. And persistent is something that is really important for us as we walk the Christian life in this world. It's not perfection, it's persistence. And persistence is also different from consistence. Persistency is key. It is the most important thing in our spiritual life. And we hear this in, in, uh, in Scripture where we read the words, as often as you fall or rise and you'll be saved. It doesn't talk about how perfect that needs to be, but simply it needs to be persistent. So they, they illustrate this for us. And Jesus, seeing their persistency, which now is translated into the amount of faith that they have, he says, your sins are forgiven you. Now, unbeknownst to the man who's a paralytic, and unbeknownst to the people that are there, that actually is the greatest thing that happened to him on that day. The other thing that's really interesting here is that by saying your sins are forgiven you, he draws the Pharisees out. This is a very provocative statement. Your sins are forgiven you. A very provocative sentence. Because the Pharisees know that the sins can only be forgiven through the Father. Only God can forgive sins. Who is this person? How can he say your sins are forgiven you? He doesn't say God forgives your sins. He says your sins are forgiven you. And in other words, I am the one forgiving them. He draws the Pharisees out. And it's, it's fascinating because as we read further it says... 
Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. They, they didn't start clamoring and talking about it. Questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak thus? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, there's nothing being said here. There's no, no words that are being exchanged. Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, why do you question thus in your hearts? Can you imagine that you're sitting there and you're, going, and you're thinking to yourself, who is this man that he forgives sins? And Jesus looks at you and says, why do you have that thought? Why are you questioning in your hearts that? Can you imagine that feeling? Talk about now, we would be once, I think, very, very impressed, but also extremely scared to know that he just read our mind. But he perceived in his spirit, and he knew that in their hearts they were questioning him. He says, why do you question thus in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your pallet, and walk? The first thing I want to I, I comment about this is, because we have to put ourselves in this situation. Not only do, do these Pharisees question in their hearts what he said, how often do questions rise in our hearts in regards to God's action or our perception of lack of action in our lives? How often do we question God? How often do they rise in our hearts? And I would, I would say a lot. It, would hap- it happens a lot with us. In fact, when I speak with people, whether it's in confession or out of confession, when they're talking about the spiritual life, one of the things that they focus on, one of the things that we focus on, is our lack of progress, whether or not God is really there. Uh, Sometimes I feel really barren and drained in myself. I don't know if I'm really making any progress. I don't know if my prayers are being effective. I I have all these questions. And we're, we're, in essence, we're questioning God, not just ourselves. Because in all that we're saying, because I don't really know if God could really help me change the way I'm thinking and feeling right now. And that's doubting the power of God. So we have these questions that rise up in our heart constantly when it comes to our life in Christ. And we have to hold ourselves accountable to that. We have to ask ourselves, why, Father Timothy, do these questions rise in your heart? Just as Christ asked them of the Pharisees who were there. So he says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and take up your pallet and walk? Blessed Theophilact has something really neat to say about this, and I want to share it with you. He says, the Pharisees, he says, first he says, although the Lord had revealed their innermost thoughts, the Pharisees remained senseless, not conceding that he who could read their minds and know what was in their hearts could also forgive the sins of another person. So they missed that entirely. They didn't even catch that part. One didn't say to the other, hey, you know, since he kind of read, you know, read our minds, don't you think he could probably do this too? They didn't even think about that. He says, the Pharisees thought it was more difficult to heal the body because that was something visible. They thought that it was easy to say that the soul to the soul that its sins had been forgiven. This is invisible. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven you. How do you prove that? 
Anybody could say that. That's easy. It's very easy to say something like that. Perhaps they were thinking, he says, look at this deceiver. He declined to heal the body, which is visible, and instead claims to heal the soul, which is invisible. Certainly, were he able, he would have healed the body rather than pretend to do something that cannot be seen. So our Lord shows them that he is able to do both, saying, which is easier, to heal the body or to heal the soul? Certainly, it is easier to heal the body, but you think just the opposite. So I will heal the body, which in fact is easy, although it seems difficult to you. So he says to the paralytic, Arise and take up your bed. He had not only healed him, but he also filled him with the strength to do what he was asking him to do. That's a critical point. When we come to confession especially, and we lay all of our sins before Christ, and we bear that shame of confessing things either over and over and over, or things that are embarrassing, when we lay all of those things to Christ's feet, He then gives us the strength to go forth and to live in a better way according to his commandments. We can't forget that part because if we leave the confession and we feel good, but we go back out and think, boy, I have to really muster it up this time and do even better. I got to be stronger. I got to be smarter. Then it's all about me. The Lord is the same with our spiritual sickness. He says he not only delivers us from sins, but also fills us with the strength to do his commandments. I think, people, we fail oftentimes because we don't realize who it is that gives us the grace and the strength to fulfill any of the commandments. We are in a mindset because our culture and our society and our upbringing teaches us that we are the ones that have to perform and do well. We are the ones that are going to be responsible. Sure, we have a choice. Sure, we have this free will and we have to participate. But let's not fool ourselves that the strength to fulfill all of these things that God is asking us to fulfill in order to be in a deeper relationship with Him come from Him. He says, I too am a paralytic, for the powers of my soul are inert and will not move me to do good. But if I am carried by the four evangelists and brought to the Lord, my sins are forgiven me. How can I be brought to Jesus? If they make an opening in the roof, what is the roof? The roof is my mind. Made of many clay tiles, signifying earthly affairs and earthly cares. In all of these things are pulled away, if all of these things are pulled away, and the strength of my mind within me is opened up and freed of the weight of earthly things, then I will be lowered, I will be humbled. When we learn from the evangelists, when we read the scripture, when we read these beautiful accounts of the lives of the saints and their teachings that are full of grace from the Holy Spirit, it humbles us. And when we are able to be humbled, then we're able to be lowered. And when we're able to be lowered, we're able to be healed. He says, Then I will be healed and I will take up my bed, which is my body, and employ it to do the commandments. For I should not only be raised up from sin and understand that I sin, i.e. confession, but I should also take up my bed, that is, get my body up and set it to do good. 
Then we shall also be able to see with spiritual eyes so that all our thoughts within us can say, we never understood until now that we were paralytics and have since been healed. For only he who has been cleansed of sins sees things as they truly, truly are. So here is, here is the, the message, if I could say, this morning. Persistency is key. Persistency indicates that we have faith. And faith is what our Lord sees and then heals us and gives us the grace that we need. If we need to be convinced, I would say that the number one exercise, spiritual exercise that we can do is to think about all the ways and all the times in which God has healed us, provided for us, and shown His great mercy and kindness towards us. If we lose, if we lose sight of those, we're going to become despairing people. And we're going to have lots of questions rising in our heart. But if we just recall daily all of those ways in which the Lord has been merciful and kind to us, and He has healed us and helped us, we won't doubt. Because we will see how our Lord has proven to us over and over and over and over again that He is who He says He is. We won't need that convincing. We can do that for ourselves. In the book of Isaiah... It says, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. Here what he's saying is that even though these people are rebellious and they're walking in their own way according to their own thoughts, I still spread out my hands over them. This is our reality too. No matter how sinful we live, no matter what mistakes we make, where we fall short, the Lord will never forsake or abandon us. He spreads out His hands over us all day long. Then, and with this recounting of all the ways in which our Lord has blessed us and helped us and cares for us, we can say, as King David said in in Psalm 16, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David knew through the mercy of God and through his own repentance, he set the Lord before him always. And my fear is that the Lord is everywhere but before us most of the time. And this is a conscious decision we have to make. And it takes a lot of practice and a lot of reminding of ourselves to keep the Lord in front of us at all time. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because when we do that, as he says, because he is there, I will never be shaken. So if we feel shaken, we can think in reverse. It means that I probably put Jesus behind me. So let us take this message of King David and also the message of Isaiah and let's remember to always, always, always keep the Lord in front of us before our mind's eye in thought whatever it takes for that recollection to be continuous and when we do that no matter what happens in life we will not be shaken. Amen.